Uh, Hebrews chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 2 this morning. I'll uh, mention in, this, in the message uh, some, some thoughts uh, in regards of coming off of family camp. And um, anytime that you come off of a meeting like that, it always seems like the service right after was just kind of blah, you know. Especially after vacation Bible school, you know, everything's just, oh, back to normal, you know. And it never helps any, when everybody's out sick, too. But, um, but I'm glad you're here and appreciate uh, all of your work and your effort that you put into uh, to the blessing that family camp was. And again, I'll mention the service as far as the sermon here in a minute. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. For unto the angels hath he, put, hath he not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak? But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels, thou crownest him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all in, uh, all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Now, as we get into chapter 2, we find in verse 1 kind of an insert, insertion of a narrative, uh, meaning that it seems to be kind of a break in the thought, but yet the thought uh, or the idea of what chapter 1 was about carries on into chapter 2. If you notice in verse, uh, verse 5, he talks about angels of chapter 2, verse 5. You look down to verse 7, he speaks about the angels again. You get down to verse 9, and there are the angels, the subject of the angels again. So obviously, we covered that. We talked about the angels that were mentioned in chapter 1. So the author of the book of Hebrews is not, has not stopped in his thought process of what he's trying to illustrate, but yet he inserts something for us. And he inserts in verse 1, and there he says, Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Now, what the author of Hebrews does is he gives a warning, and he warns right there, don't slip, don't allow a slip up with certain things that he's spoken about. We'll cover that this morning, but that's not the only time that a, a warning shows up in the, in the letter of, of Hebrews. Look at chapter 3, chapter 3. Uh, and in chapter 3, uh, verses 7, all the way into chapter 4 and verse 13, we won't, we won't read all of that, but in verse, verse 7 of chapter 3 through chapter 4, verse 13, uh, his warning in verse 7 of chapter 3 is, in essence, don't let your hearts become hardened against the things of God. And so there's a warning there. Uh, you find another warning in chapter 5. Look at chapter 5. And in chapter 5, verse 11, through chapter 6, verse 20. And in chapter 5, verse 11, it is here that he says, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing you're dull of hearing. And what he begins to say is, now, don't stop growing. I'm going to warn you, he says, the author says, I'm, you, you could stop, but you don't need to. You need to keep growing in your spiritual life. And that's a warning 
in chapter 5, verse 11 through chapter 6, verse 20. Go to chapter 10. Here's another warning that shows up in this letter. And in chapter 10, in chapter 10, verses 19, all the way down through verse 39. So you could say the, the last half of this, this chapter. But verse 19, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. And he begins to speak about uh, their professing. And what he says in this passage is, the warning to them is, stand. Uh, don't give up. Keep standing. And that's verse 19 through 39. Look at chapter 12. Chapter 12. So there's five warnings that are given to us in this letter. And in chapter 12, verses 25 to the end of the chapter in verse 29, that warning is don't refuse, don't push back when God speaks to you. Don't refuse His speaking. So five warnings in the book of Hebrews. Now, there's often some letters, for example, you would get into Ephesians, and there's really not too many warnings that go on there. Uh, some of the letters that Paul writes, some rebukes, and uh, as far as it's kind of the, the theme or the tone of the letter, and there's other letters that he writes where he doesn't really rebuke them for anything. In the book of Philippians, he just encourages them. He does, in one pla- passage in Philippians, mention a problem of two ladies and just says, tell them, get along. Uh, but in that subject, there is no blatant rebuke. Obviously, we have warnings in the book of Hebrews. Go back with me to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. So here we are, Hebrews chapter 2, and now we'll look at this uh, this morning. We're going to title this portion of the message, really focusing on verses 1 through verse 4, the heed the warning, heed the warning. I want you to notice in verse 1, lest at any time, latter part of the verse, lest at any time we should let them slip. So that is an encouragement. It is an exhortation. Don't let this happen. Don't let it slip you. Now, I'm going to talk about that slip for just a minute because I find that all the commentators, generally speaking, and the new Bibles take out slip and they'll say drift. Now, I've slipped before. You ever slipped? I never looked at that and went, I just drifted. No, buddy, like, the, like legs go out from underneath you, and you're trying to grab a hold of everything that's around you, right? And, uh, and all of a sudden, you pull a muscle, or you land on your bottom, or whatever it was, and you did not say that was a drift. <laughs> I, I looked at that, and I thought, how, why would you say drift when he said slip? Now, the, now, there's a reason that they change it, okay? Now, I'll give you a heads up, and uh, we'll get into it later, probably uh, not today. It'll, it'll be a little more study time when we get into Hebrews, but uh, notice in verse 4, he talks about signs, wonders, and diverse miracles. Now, that immediately, for the Bible student, knows 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, that Jews seek after a sign, and the, and the Gentiles seek after wisdom. And so, we know that the book is dealing with Hebrews, is dealing with Jews, and sign gifts. So, we know we're not dealing with, particularly with the church, we're dealing with something different. And I've already shown you there's three passages, or three three references in Hebrews that alludes to the fact that someone could lose their salvation. Now, for the church-age Christian, if you're just a Sunday morning goer, then obviously in a Baptist church you go, oh no, I thought we were eternally secure. Calm down, you are. But listen, when the Holy Spirit of God is taken out at the rapture, you have no security of the believer because he's gone. Now, you understand that even the Old Testament, David said in Psalm 51, take not thine Holy Spirit from me. That's what he said. And the Holy Spirit came on Samson and left Samson and came on Samson and left Samson and came back on Samson. And the Holy Spirit of God came inside Saul and left him and never came back to him. Now, you cannot look at that and say, well, that's the same today. There's no way. 
And I fully believe that in the future, the tribulation, it's not the same. And I believe that this passage has a leaning towards that direction, doctrinally speaking, if you looked at it from a doctrinal position. And I believe that's why he says slip. But I'll, I'll give you that later on. He didn't say drift because they're different. Now, watch what Paul, what I say Paul, I'm sorry, uh, what the author of, uh, of Hebrews does say at the very end of his letter, uh, chapter 13, look at verse 22. When the author ends the letter in verse 22 of chapter 13, uh, here he makes a statement and he says, <clears throat> and I beseech you, I, I beg you, I plead with you, brethren, suffer, allow, suffer the little children to come unto me, remember that? Uh, allow this, he said, suffer the word of exhortation. Sometimes we think that exhortation means somebody just walks up and is nice and kind and sweet and says all the fluffy words to you make you feel good. But in the Bible, exhortation is not always the case. Sometimes exhorting is to encourage you, and sometimes exhortation is to look at you and say, you're wrong and you better get right. <laughs> and an exhorter has a way of doing it with a smile on their face. And uh, they can say, you're not, you're, you're, your attitude today is really bad, and your spirit's bad, and you need to get it right. And they smile at you. And it hits you right at the heart. Now, the, now this prophetic prophet looks at you and just goes, you ain't right with God. Thanks, that made me feel good. But the exhorter smiles and you think, well, that was nice, okay? Now, the way that you know that by definition is in the Gospel of Luke, it says that, that John the Baptist exhorted them. And if you ever looked at the preaching of John the Baptist, you would have never thought that that was a, um, you know, a Joel Osteen message, okay? And it made you feel good and had warm, fuzzy feelings. I mean, he said, you're a bunch of vipers and snakes and you know, he was just right to the point, but he exhorted them. He exhorted and lifted them up to say, do what's right, guys. Repent and turn to the Messiah. That's, so exhortation goes both ways. It has warnings and it has positives. Go back to chapter 2, chapter 2 of Hebrews. So the author ends it and says, now I suffer. I will, would you allow God to exhort you, to lift you up? And, and so that why? Well, look at verse 1 again. Therefore, we ought, uh, we ought to give the more, more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest, here's their warning, uh, at any time we should let them slip. But notice it's not you slipping. It's not the listener, it's not the hearer that says, the author is not saying, you better be careful, you're going to slip up and fall. No, it's that you, you let something slip or slide out of your hands. Then what is it that you've gotten? It was the words. But let me show you the context of slip. It's used about, uh, in, its, in its form of the, of the Bible word, about 13 times in Scriptures. We're not going to look at all those, but go to the book of Psalms. And uh, the collection of Psalms, and we're going to go to Psalm 17. Psalm 17. And so the, I could grab a hold of a, a Bible dictionary, 1828 Webster's Dictionary. I could read it for you. And I read it this morning, and I went over the definition of slip. And, and honestly, when I read through that, I, I never thought drifting. So why is it that they want to switch and get away from slipping and say drift? You ever gone out in the ocean and uh, maybe your lake had some type of a current to it, and uh, you got on that raft, and before you knew it, you drifted away? I think of drifting as the idea that I didn't do anything, but something else of a current just kind of pulled me away unbeknownst to me, and I drifted away. But when you tell me I slipped, that means I was doing something, because I normally have never slipped just standing still or sitting in a chair. I've never sat down in a chair and go, whoa, you slipped out of that. Now, unless I'd like nodded off and slipped out of the chair. But that's because of my lack of action on that part. But it's still, I still put something in motion. 
I generally think that to slip is that I'm walking along that muddy, gooky mire that we have down in South Mississippi, and all of a sudden, uh, your tennis, the bottom of your tennis shoes, and you thought you had good grip, hit that red clay, and, and all of a sudden, this one foot decides to go this direction, and the other foot decides to make a circle and go the other way, right? And you're just trying to grab a hold of anything around you. That's what I think of slipping. So let, but, but listen, let's see what the Bible describes it as. So if we can get a Bible definition, it would help us. Psalm 17, and look what he says in verse 5. Psalm 17, 5. Hold up my goings in thy paths, that my footsteps slip not. That would fit. I don't see that drifting. I see that, that my feet would slip out from underneath me. Look at chapter, or I say chapter, look at Psalm 18. Psalm 18, verse 36. Thou hast enlarged my steps under me. Think of it this way. You're walking across the snow, and you got those, I don't know what they call those things, but like the, the tennis rackets that are on your feet. That's what it looks like to me. What is it? Snowshoes. Snowshoes. <laughs> Just nothing like somebody coming out, you know, with snow and up, up uh, out of the mountains to know exactly the terminology. We don't have those down here. That's why you come south. Snowshoes. But what does that do? It, it enlarges your step. Enlarges your step. So verse 36, thou hast enlarged my steps under me, that, that so that the purpose that my feet did not what? Not drift, but slip. Psalm 35. Psalm 35. But notice the prayer of the psalmist is saying, God, spiritually speaking, in my spiritual walk, God, would you allow my steps to be larger so that I'm not in danger of falling and slipping. Psalm 35, look what he says, the psalmist says in verse 6. Psalm 35 in verse 6, let their way be dark and slippery, and let the angel of the Lord persecute them. He's talking about the enemies of God. He's not talking about his ways. He's saying, God, let them hit a banana peel today. I mean, let them walk across that mud and, and get what's coming to them. Now, we, we have these types of prayers in the Psalms, and that, listen, there, there are times that we can pray and say, God, would you just take care of my enemy? That one that has persecuted me, come against me. God, put them in slippery places and may get them. And uh, these, these are the prayers that uh, David is praying. He said, God, take care of them. Look at Psalm 73. One last one here, Psalm 73. Psalm 73. I think you're getting the picture. I'm not viewing. They'll talk about these commentaries. Well, this is a beautiful picture in Hebrews 2 of, of a ship that is, is uh, tied up on the port and it just drifts out. Huh? I don't get that with slip. <laughs> this means that there's something slippery and somebody could let something go. All right, Psalm, uh, Psalm 73, Psalm 73, verse 18. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Talking about the, uh, the individuals apart from God. Thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought in desolation? And is it in a moment? See, it's slippery. And just like that, they just went out from underneath you. I think that you get the idea with me. Go back to Hebrews chapter 2 this morning, Hebrews chapter 2. So drift is, uh, again, the idea that there is, there's no effort. But a slip implies a movement, an aim, an action while I'm trying to do something or move. And all of a sudden, we could say this in our spiritual life. Yeah, you've drifted at times. And I understand the concept of drifting in our spiritual life that we just kind of just kind of floated away and we have used that in terminology and I'm not saying it's wrong, but in this passage, that's not what he's dealing with. Look at the verse again. 
Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed, pay attention, watch what's going on, to the things which we have heard, past tense, the things you just listened to, the things that you heard. He said, why? Because lest at any time we should let them, what's the them, the things that we heard slip. It's not you slipping. It's not you drifting. It's the things that we allowed into our life that we listened to and we heard. And I thought, how fitting that we came off a family camp. And we had preaching that was given to us, and I think it was about 10 messages or teachings that was given. And if you missed some of those, go back and listen to them. I know the services that are recorded are not the same. I understand that, but they will help you. And go back, why? Because if we're not careful, the things that we've listened to, the things that we have heard, will let them slip away. Just like the, the, the miry mud, and before you know it, it's gone like that. And that's the warning. I do not see the author here getting you to envision a ship in the port that drifts out into the ocean. No, no. This is something just like in a moment of time, it's gone. Now, there's several things in this passage that I, I want to spend a little bit more time with, particularly in verse 1, and that is number the first point of it is consider what you heard. Now, obviously, he's talking about the things he heard. Look at verse 1. Therefore. Now, that first word right there, therefore, the, the word means because of. So because of what you've heard, what did they hear? Now, you cannot take this out of its context. It must be left in the context of which the author is speaking. He said, now I'm writing to you, and because of the things that you've heard. Well, what did he talk to them about in chapter 1? In chapter 1 of this letter, he says, because Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Remember, that's what he's saying in this whole letter, is that Jesus is better. I will drive that home to you by the end of, by the end of chapter 13 of Hebrews. You will know that. The, the sooner you get it, the better off you are, <laughs> is that Jesus is better than all the other things that you've got in this life. And he says, he is the Son of God. So because of what I taught you, because of what you heard, Jesus is better. Don't let that slip. The second thing that we looked at in chapter 1 was that Jesus Christ is the heir of all things, meaning that he inherits all things. All things will become his. Why? Because, well, the second thing is, or third, the second thing is the heir of all things. The third thing is that he made all the worlds. He created it. He put it into motion by his very word. Now, for the Jew, keep in mind, this is a Jewish context. They're looking at this going, we have, we have God the Father the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this author is saying, but you've got Jesus. Now, when we say he's better, it doesn't mean the tabernacle was no good. It doesn't mean that angels are no good. It doesn't mean that, that those things of the, that he spoke about in chapter 1 are not good. It means they're good, but it's better with Jesus Christ. He said there in chapter 1, he said that he spoke to us in the Old Testament by the prophets. He said he spoke to us by angels, and those were all amazing things. I want you to notice how he brings this back in in verse 2 of chapter 2, for if the word spoken by angels was steadfast. So if the word which was spoken by angels came from God, and it did, he said there, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. He said, so if the angels spoke, and immediately when they spoke, all of a sudden judgment comes down. Then he says in verse 3, then how shall we escape? If God could bring judgment with angels, and he did, 
then how are you going to get away from it? You say, get away from what? Well, what did he say in chapter 1? He says, in, in these last days, has spoken unto us by his what? His son. Now, for you and I, he speaks to us through his word. But for the Hebrew in this passage, he's saying that God spoke to you now. He speaks to you audibly, if you want to look at that context, by the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, the author of Hebrews is saying, Jesus is better. Now, for you and I, you don't hear of him audibly. You have his word. So if I wanted to make a spiritual application, I would say that remember years ago that God would speak to you through mama and daddy. You say, God spoke to me through mom and daddy? Yeah, children obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. And uh, mom and dad would say, this is what we're going to do, and, and you'd say, why? And they'd say, don't worry about it right now. Just trust me. Isn't that what they said? Isn't that what some of you parents have said? I know I have. Just trust me. But why, daddy? Well, let me just, and as time goes on, because that world's wicked out there. And that's all you need to know right now. But why, daddy? It's not time to learn that. One day you'll understand it. And you know what they did? I was the one in which the word was spoken to them. And here he says, but could we say it this way? In times past, he spoke to us by the fathers. I, I know that some of you, your parents are already, already passed. And you'd love to pick up the phone and call them today and say, what should I do? But there's an element of growth that comes to the place in any child's life that we want them to learn to hear from God, not just what the parent has to say. But God used the parent. You see, the word's better. There's no slight on the parent. You ever had a preacher preach and God spoke to you? And you walked away going, I got my answer today. I've had that happen. But I'll tell you what's even sweeter is when I've gotten to places and say, God, I know I could call the preacher, and I could call my daddy, and I could call any man in this church, and I could get an answer, and they'd give me good wisdom. But God, I just need to hear from you today. Because if I'm just reading my word and you speak to me, I won't question myself. You ever question yourself? Jesus is better. I think that's a spiritual application. You say, why? Because the warning there is that you better consider what you heard. You ought to recall it. You better remember it. And in verse 2, the word that was spoken by angels, which is the reference of chapter 1, it is a reference to the Old Testament concept of God speaking to them, but now Christ is superior. Look also at verse 1. Therefore, because of this, we ought to give the, give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. So I should consider what I heard. Consider what I, what I learned last week. But secondly, but hear carefully. Hear carefully. What, what did you hear? Did you give the more earnest heed? Do you look at a message and hear the preacher and think to yourself, what is he saying that I need? If you didn't do that, you missed out. I don't mean that missed out with me. I mean with any preaching message. God, God, can use, God can use a rooster, a donkey. God can use about anything. And if we would just stay moldable and flexible and heed the warning of let not these things which I have heard slip away from me. Not drift. Not drift. They'll go just like that. 
So I thank you. I thank you, church, for, uh, for showing up, for sacrificing. I know it's a sacrifice. And you sacrificed in many ways. Hours of sleep and exhaustion. Thursday afternoon, I was a walking zombie. You say, well, you say, well, you just wore out. It was self-inflicted. It was. But I also say thank you for giving that preacher liberty. I can recall, and, and I wish I could tell you, there's just some illustrations that you can't say. But several years back, there was a church service in this room. And I would say it is the worst service I've ever had to preach in, ever. By far anything I've ever preached at. Um, and you've heard some of my stories, like the Harley-Davidson convention, I think, at one time. That's what it seemed like. And uh, I, got, I got called to do a funeral service for somebody I didn't know. And it was all ex-Vietnam veterans in there. And, and I love military, but you know, they were just, they were not used to church. The, only, the, the guy didn't even go to church. His wife had died, and, he, and she was Baptist. Now, I couldn't tell you the last time she ever walked into a Baptist church, but he wanted a Baptist funeral. So they found me. It's a sucker, all right? So I walk in. And, uh, and it was just like, I mean, you know, black leather. I mean, and like the whole parking lot was the, the Harley Davidson's. And it was, it was me and, and Jamie was with me. And, and we had Jeremiah at the time. He was an infant. And I just looked at her and I said, y'all just stay in the van. Just stay in the van. I'll go in there and preach. And uh, there was no amens. There were no smiles. There were no like, hmm. It was just like, could burn a hole through you. See, what'd you do? preached the gospel, and I was real careful not to put that woman in hell. Now, now you can do that if you want to. I like living. I, I like it. And, uh, and listen, those things are touchy. Now, they've just lost a loved one, and uh, you can be all bold if you want to. I'm not like you. Uh, you say, well, I would have preached hell. Yeah, you would have blown it a year later. later. A year later, his, name, his last name was Rushing. A year later, he called me, the husband, and was still crying on the phone. He said, you remember me? I said, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember you. <laughs> yeah, I remember you. I still remember him. <laughs> and uh, he, said, uh, he said, I've been, he said, you did an excellent job. It's what she would have wanted. And then he said, and, he, and you preached the gospel like I wanted you to preach. I didn't even know you knew it. But I promise you this, if I'd made that woman in hell, because I didn't know her, didn't know if she saved or not, I would have blown it. Don't tell me for a second he didn't think about it for a year. He had. It was on his mind. He said, I was too upset to call you. That's a rough service, but not near as bad as the one in here. I wish I could tell you the details, but I can't because you'd know some of them. And the spirit was bad, bad. And uh, it just seemed like that I, my mind was confused. And I was having to stay focused on what I was saying, and it was... All I can say is just you got to believe me. It was, a, it was rough. Why? They say something? No. They get up and walk out? No. But they had a bad spirit. And they didn't want to hear what was preached, and they were ready to get out of here. And um, you say, why are you telling us that? Because how you receive something is what allows the preacher to give it. It really does. And uh, you, you had a good receiving spirit. At family camp, I know you're tired, you're exhausted, and uh, you received it, and you, you receptive to the word. And when on the way to the airport, uh, Brother Greer says, he said, you tell the church Sunday morning, he said, you were, you were completely right, because I made that statement on Wednesday night. He said, they gave me liberty. 
And he said, that is a blessing. And I understand that. And I know some of you guys preach at times and have taught, and you understand that. Some of you haven't, just take my word on it. But you gave him liberty. Can you take exhortation? I mean, really, can you take it when somebody looks at you and says, you're wrong? I ran across a letter. I mean, you know John Wesley. I know of him. He's dead. <laughs> he started, he and his brother, Charles, of the Methodist Church. If you know him, I don't want to know about it. But um, <clears throat> He wrote a letter to another preacher, friend, a friend of his. So John Wesley writes a letter to John Trimbeth, August 17, 1760. My dear brother, I want you to pretend for a minute that you're John Trimbeth getting this letter. Could you take this? The conversation I had with you yesterday in the afternoon gave me a good deal of satisfaction as to some things which I had heard with regard to your wasting your substance, drinking intemperately, wronging the people of Sibberton. I am persuaded they were, they were mistakes, as I suppose it was that you converse much with careless, unawakened people. In other words, I'll give it to you. You're having to deal with people. You ever feel like that? God, I could do good if it wasn't for people. <laughs> yeah. He said, I'll give it to you. It's just the people. And I trust you will be more and more cautious in all these respects, abstaining from the very appearance of evil. He references, see my letter of September 12, uh, 21st, 1755. That you had not always attended the preaching when you might have done it, you allowed, but seemed determined to remove that objection, as well as the other of using such exercises or diversions as giving offense to your brethren. I believe you will likewise endeavor to avoid light and trifling conversation and to talk and to behave in all company with that seriousness and usefulness which become a preacher of the gospel. In other words, I expect you're going to behave. Certainly some years ago, you was alive to God. Ooh, you know what you said? I remember years ago when you had a zeal for God. I, had, I remember when you used to enjoy God. He said, I remember when you were alive to God. You experienced the life and the power of religion. And does not God intend that the trials you meet with should bring you back to this, so that you, so you, but yet you cannot stand still? And you know this is impossible. You must go forward or backward. You can't just stay where you're at. You either go forward or back. Either you must recover that power and be a Christian altogether, or in a while you will have neither power nor form inside or out. Extremely opposite both to one and the other is the aptness to ridicule others, to make them contemptible by exposing their real or supposed uh, follies. This I would earnestly advise you to avoid. It hurts yourself. It hurts the, the hearers, and it, it greatly hurts those who are, are exposed and tends to make them, uh, make them your irreconcilable enemies. In other words, your preaching is rough, dude. You're making enemies more than making friends. Calm down. That's rough. If you're a preacher, if you're, if you're a child of God and witnessing, can you tone it down? It has also sometimes betrayed you into speaking what was not strictly true. Oh, beware of this above all things. Never amplify, never exaggerate anything. Be rigorous in adhering to truth. Be exemplary therein. Whatever has been in time past, let all men know what John Trimpeth abhors, abhors lying, that he never promises anything which he does not perform. That is, his word is equal to his bond. I pray be exact in this. Be a pattern of truth, sincerity, and godly simplicity. He's not finished. He's got one paragraph left. And get ready to burn him. 
what has exceedingly hurt, hurt you in time past, nay, and I fear to this day, is a want of reading. He said, your, your, your biggest problem is you don't read. Now, stop. He's not talking about reading the Bible. Because somebody goes, oh, I read the Bible. You ought to read more than the Bible. Paul said, give attendance to, and I believe that context is, you ought to read and educate yourself. I scarce ever knew a preacher that read so little. That's what he said. He said, I ain't never known a preacher in my life that reads so little as you. And perhaps by neglecting it, you have lost the taste for it. Because there's always somebody who goes, well, I just don't like to read. Stop the excuses. Find a book to read and read. And before you know it, you'll enjoy it. Well, it's just because you hadn't found what you like to read. I'm not saying you've got to read Bible books, but find something to read. I told, this is rough. He says, hence your talent in preaching does not increase. It is just the same as it was seven years ago. It is lively, but not deep. I think I met that guy. You ever met that guy that's preached? And, and he could put on a fanfare and had all the right words. And you went, but I got nothing because he didn't read. He said, there is little variety. There is no compass of thought. Regarding only, uh, sorry, reading only can supply this with meditation and daily prayer. You wrong yourself by omitting this. You can never be a deep preacher without it any more than a thorough Christian. He says, oh, begin. <laughs> Start reading. Fix some part of it every day for private exercises. You may acquire the taste which you have not. What is tedious at first will afterwards be pleasant. Whether you like it or no, read and pray daily. It is for your life. There is no other way. Else you will be a trifler of all your days and, and, a, a, and petty and superficial preacher. Now, some of those preachers you know, that would have made them mad. Do justice to your own soul. Give it time. Let it grow. Do not starve yourself any longer. Take up your cross and be a Christian altogether. Then, then will all the children of God rejoice and not grieve over you, and in particular, yours, John Wesley. Now, we read that historically and go, whoa, that's rough. But what if somebody wrote that to you? And if your excuse is saying, well, I don't read, then there's going to be a lot that's going to slip out of your hands. If they looked at you and said, um, can, you, can you be rebuked for, not, for lack of reading? Can you be rebuked for your attitude? Could you be rebuked for uh, your spirit? Could you be? One time, Job says, whose spirit came from thee? I've often said that uh, some of you, I'm your preacher, but I'm not your preacher. Meaning that if I really got down to it and decided to rebuke you, you couldn't take it. You'd get mad and leave. Because you couldn't handle it. We've got to be careful not to despise the potential of something slipping right out of our hands. Well, it's not physical words that I put in my hands. But it's the analogy of things that I hold dear. We say... What was it I was going to say? It slipped my mind. Isn't that what we say? It just slipped, it slipped my mind. I can't remember what it was. And just like that, it's gone. Some of you probably sat here this past week 
and some of the truths in which you heard at a family camp were things you already knew. They just slipped away. Could you take the rebuke? Well, obviously in chapter 2, verse 1, you would have to say the third point would be to hold tight the teachings you have. Hold tight to it. If it's not just going to slip away, that means you better put a grip on it. Don't let it go anywhere. You ought to consider what you heard. And let your hearing be very careful. And hold tight to the things you have. And in essence, that is exactly what the author of Hebrews is saying. He said, you, you heard everything I say that, that Christ is better, he is superior. Don't let it slip away. It's not drifting. It's a slip. And just as fast as you walked into the other room and go, what did I come in here for? Those things, if you don't hold it tight, will slip away. See why? Because we're every one of us in this room are prone to it. I am no different than you are. You are no better than me to have a photographic memory and will forever remember it. Maybe you are photographic memory. Maybe you can remember all those points, but you've still got to do something with it. You've got to put it into, into, into motion. Because that's slipping is deals with, emo, with not emotions, but a movement. John Wesley says, you cannot stay where you're at. You will either go forward or you will go backward. Again, if I wrote a letter like that in modern terms to you and said, you're the most miserable Christian. I wish you'd start being a Christian. If you just listen to me and you have no depth. And then sometimes that's what God does is he moves in and gives you a warning. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Heed the warnings. Heed the warnings. That means going back to those notes that you wrote down last week and write them, rewrite them or write them in your Bible. I've done that before. I've made notes real quick and then go back later and think on them and write it down. Maybe it's to put something in, in action in your home or your life. Maybe nothing hit you last week and you just go, I think I need to start reading books. <laughs> you know, church started a library. Find a book to read. Find one. If it's a page a night, you say it puts me to sleep. We'll start somewhere. Find one you like. I read about uh, two years ago a book called uh, Eight Years with American Indians. There's a guy I, I've mentioned before, a guy had, uh, as a young boy was captured and made a slave to the Apaches. That was really my first Western Indian book. I enjoyed it. That was a good book. It's a true story. It's his story with it. I didn't think I'd enjoy something like that. I've bought a few more since then. I've started reading. But see, here's what I do is I have about five or six of them different all at one time. Find something. But the things you do have, don't let them slip. Don't let it slip. 
Hold tight. Give heed to the warnings. If that preacher rebuked you last week, say, God, I want to hold tight to what you gave me. And my, my, my family and my home be different. And that warning wouldn't apply to me because I'm holding tight. May God help us to not let things slip, which we've heard. Not drift, slip. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the text in which we come across this morning. Very fitting for <clears throat> having come off of the meeting. Didn't plan it that way by any means. But in some ways, I think, Father, that we can relate because realistically, we, we were touched, we were moved uh, in, the, in, the pre- in the past services of last week. And if we were asked to list all those things, we probably we've, we've probably already let some things slip. God will be challenged this morning to go back, look at some notes, listen to audios, and grab a hold of the truths. And God, if we do that, heed the warning, we'd hold tight, it'll produce something in the Christian life, in the homes, and in this church, which I fully believe would be pleasing to you. So, Father, I pray that we would have learned from the warning, the exhortation that the writer of Hebrews gives in chapter 2, verse 1. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you would stand. This is Pastor Jeremy Wilson. We sure appreciate you listening uh, to this service today. We hope that it was a help to you and uh, your endeavors to study and to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. If we can be a help, be sure to check us out online at hbcpicune.com.